Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. I want to give you three examples where nevertheless changed everything, both for the good and for the bad. In Numbers 13, 25 through 28, um, there's a story about how Moses sent a group of Hebrews into the promised land to spy out the land. And they came back. And they were talking about the, the fruit of the land and the milk and the honey and how everything is overflowing and how it's so beautiful. And it's everything that God promised them. But then they say this. They say that, Nevertheless, though, the people there, um, we can't defeat them. And I, I'm giving a summary for the purposes of not having to go back and forth to, to Scripture. But so the, the spies say, nevertheless, we can't defeat them. And because of their nevertheless, their dialogue, their, their words that they allowed in their mouth changed the course of the Hebrews for an entire generation. As you know, or if you don't know, they ended up going back into the desert instead of taking the promised land for another 40 years until everybody from that generation died except for a few people. What had happened if they would have said instead, nevertheless, regardless of their size, in spite of their size, in spite of the threat, we're going to stand on what God told us. Because that's why we're here. And standing on what God told us, we're going to take what God gave us. So nevertheless can change everything. They use their nevertheless wrongly. Mark 14, 35 through 39 changed, that nevertheless changed everything. When Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prays and says, God, if it be your will, take this cup from me. But then what did he say? But nevertheless, if it not be thy will, he said, nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. And so what happened there? Jesus took the cup of suffering so that we might take the cup of grace. His nevertheless changed our eternity. We have an opportunity through our own nevertheless, through our own understanding, to change the community we live in. And so that's what I, that's what I believe God is telling us today. In spite of everything that's going on around us. Because could you imagine if Jesus wouldn't have said, nevertheless, I'm going to take this cup anyway? Because he had every right to do that. What if he just said, you know what, this, just, this is going to be too much. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to deal with this. We can just recreate these horrible folks. Kill all the ones that are already in existence and start over. But he didn't. He said, nevertheless, your will, not mine. And it changed everything. And so last week we began this discussion with nevertheless, talking about nevertheless, regardless of what's going on around us, we will praise him out of Psalms 145. And out of Psalms 145, we said we're going to continue to praise him nevertheless because he is great, because he is full of mercy and grace, because we have a promise of eternity, and because he is good. And if you didn't hear that sermon, I'd recommend you go back and watch it. Because we broke that whole Psalms down. Because it doesn't matter what's going on around us, God still deserves to be praised. 
Because he's given us many, many promises to include his grace, his power, his ability, his, his eternal kingdom. Because he is good to us. Right? I, I ate this morning. I had clothes to put on this morning. I had gas to get to church so that I might fellowship with other believers this morning. Those are things that are a product of God's goodness. I don't have to have any of those things. In fact, there are people that don't have those things. But God's good in their life too. And so, nevertheless, I will praise Him. But why can we praise Him? How can we see through the fog, the muck, the mire of our daily situation to find a place where we can praise Him? And that's what I want to talk about today. We can say, nevertheless, I will praise him because nevertheless, I am equipped. And so out of 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7, I want to read you this. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love, and discipline. I'm going to read that again. I'm going to proclaim it to you. I'm speaking this word over you. If you have any fear in your life, God did not give you a spirit of timidity, which means fear. He gave you a spirit of power, of love, and a strong mind. Now, what I want to do, what I hope to do today, I don't have anything crazy. I just, I'm battling a cold. So, I'm not going to shake your hand, though. Six and seven. So what I'm hoping to do is to show you what he expects us to do and how he expects us to respond to our condition, to the things that are going around us, on around us, based on these verses. Amen? So I'm going to make a couple of points. Point number one. Nevertheless, I am equipped with a gift. Every believer is equipped with a gift. Everybody say, I am equipped with a gift. Reach over, touch your neighbor. No, don't touch your neighbor. I'm just playing. I'm equipped with a gift. I'm equipped with a gift. It's a, that word is, literally means a grace. Every one of us has been given a grace. We've been given a gift by God that we're expected to use to serve our community. Amen? And that's, that's laid out, that specific gift. The truth of the fact that we've been given a gift is seen in Romans 12, 6 through 8. And this is what it says. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to each of us, this is the grace that we're talking about, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the pro proportion of his faith, if service in, this, in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So all of us have been given a gift. Amen? We have all been given a gift. But let me tell you, there's a gift. And, and I can elaborate on that and say this is everybody having a gift is responsible to use that gift within the body of Christ. Some are eyes, some are feet, some are toes, some are fingers, some of all of these things. And all of them create the, the body that is the body of Christ. But that's not really what I want to talk about today because what I want to talk about is the gift that makes those gifts possible. The gift that makes those gifts possible, these gifts of prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, mercy, 
the gift that makes these gifts possible is the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is not the gift of timidity. He said, I did not give you a spirit of fear. You've been given a gift, a grace, but it's not one of fear. God is never going to put fear on you. God can't give you what he doesn't have. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? No more than he can tempt you in sin can he give you something he doesn't have. And so he can't give you a spirit of timidity because he can't give you, he can't multiply that which doesn't exist within him. And so we've been given a gift of timidity. But according to this verse, these verses, we have to take that gift and fan it into flame. I'm convinced that the world's upside down, that people have, have, have become so panicked in the way that they are, some of them even Christians, because they've allowed what was a fire in them to turn into embers or something even less than that. We have to. We have to. It's not a, I think we should. Listen to me. We have to fan into flame the gift which is in us. Too many of us have grown dull in our hearing and in our understanding because we've, we've not pursued the Holy Spirit the way that we should, the Spirit within us. I want to tell you a, a story, There's a, and I don't know if it's true or not. It's an illustration. But there was a, a guy who hadn't been to church in months. It was the middle of the winter. The pastor got nervous and worried about him, so the pastor went to his house, knocked on the door. The guy answered the door. He was surprised to see the pastor there. They both go inside. They sit in front of the fireplace. And as they're standing in front of the fireplace, the pastor, without any of them saying a word, they're just rocking there in front of the fireplace. Without anybody saying a word, the pastor reaches down with the tongs and picks up a peripheral coal from away from the fire that had turned ashy and white. Useless for creating the heat it was designed to create. And he picked it up with the tongs, laid it into the fire, and watched as it glowed red once again with the fire creating the heat it was designed to create. The guy looked at him and he said, Pastor, I understand. I'll see you Sunday. We have, to, we have to intentionally take action to move ourselves from the peripheral to the center so that the heat we were intended to create might be created in us so that the heat that we're intended to create might be used through us to a community that needs us. Amen? Amen. Not just not needs us, but needs the Spirit of God that is in us. But this is a gift we've been given. I need us to recognize and understand that it's our responsibility to fan that into flame. That gift is not timidity. The word timidity, according to this, this word here means cowardly, shameful fear generated by weak, selfish character. Does any of that sound like God to you? Should any of that be the reflection of God in us? Should people look at you and see cowardness or cowardly behavior, shameful fear, weakness, or selfish character? Absolutely not. God's not called us to that. God's called us to something better. We are more than conquerors through him who gave us his spirit. Amen. Mm, that's good. I want to 
what we need to do, how do, how do I move from timidity to courage? Let me tell you how I do it. Just so you guys know, if you don't know, this is a non-denominational charismatic church. We believe that everything available to the first century church is available to the church right now, including speaking in tongues, praying in tongues, praying in the Spirit. One of the things that I do, one of the things Pastor Rick and I did before I even came up here today was we prayed in the Spirit together. You want confidence to know that God holds you? Speak in a tongue that doesn't belong to you. But also the Word of God. You want tangible hold-in-your-hand proof that God wants to move you from cowardice to strength and courage? Let me read some text to you out of Scripture. See if I can find them here. I've, I've actually typed them out to make it easier. I say that, and then I lost them. Deuteronomy 31.6, and we're just putting the addresses up here if you want to write them down. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God who goes with you, he will not leave you or forsake you. Don't just listen. Hear. 2 Samuel 22, 3 and 4. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. My shield, the horn of my salvation, which means the strength of my salvation. My stronghold and my refuge. My Savior, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Isaiah 41, 10. Do not fear. And you guys know I love this one. This is the only verse in all of my Bible that the pastor under, my pastor underlined when he, when he gave me this Bible on the day that he credentialed me. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be anxious. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Can I tell you when God says surely anything, you can count on that. You're worried about what's going on to the left or right of you, what's going on in front of you or behind you. Let me tell you, God, according to this text, is your rock, which means he's not shakable. He's your refuge. He's the place that you can hide. He's your shield. He's going to keep the enemy off of you. He is the strength of your salvation. And because he is the strength of your salvation, no one is stronger than God. So he, you can be sure that your salvation is secure. Amen. And so these are the promises that we have when I feel like I'm moving into a spirit of timidity a spirit of fear, a spirit of cowardice. I can just stand on the Word of God and say, no, that's not what the Bible says about me. The Bible says this about me, that I am not to fear, that God is with me, that, he, that I don't have to anxiously look about me because no matter where I'm going, no matter where I've been, God is already there. No matter where I am, God is here now. And because I have these promises, I can stand confidently. I don't have a spirit of timidity. I don't have a spirit of fear. I am not... I don't lack courage. Amen? Amen? This is the confidence that the church needs to get back. Yes. If we are to walk effectively as God intended for us to walk. The difference between the first century church, miraculous church, and the church today is we've forgotten who we are. And who we are is so clearly revealed to us in God's Word. I praise God that I don't have to worry about whether or not he's going to hold me in his righteous right hand because his word tells me he's going to hold me in his righteous right hand. And he's not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should change his mind. Amen? 
And so I just want us to have confidence in these today. You want, you want just, especially for this time, if, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but if, if you want to write it down, if you want absolute confidence that God sees you, and not only sees you, that He holds you, and not only holds you, but He's going to keep everything away from you that isn't good for you, go to Psalms 91 and read it. And then read it again. And then read it again. Until you stand boldly on top of your couch like this. And say, that's right. Come on, world, you got nothing for me. You'll get there eventually if you read it enough times. Maybe at the top of your house, right? We'll, we'll start with the couch, move to the top of the house next week, all right? My point is, we don't have a spirit of fear. I'm not a coward. Because the God that lives in me isn't a coward. Amen? That's good. Praise, you, praise the Lord. All of these promises are for us, the believer. Number two. Nevertheless, I am equipped with a spirit of power. I told you that gift isn't a gift of timidity. What did I tell you that gift is? A gift is, is the Holy Spirit. The spirit we have been given. If we've been given a spirit of power... That spirit of power is the Holy Spirit. You listen to me, Clay, we talk about power right now, baby. Amen, it is the gift that Paul is speaking to Timothy about. Let's talk for just a quick second, because context is everything. Why is Paul writing this letter? Because Timothy is discouraged. Because Timothy's walking out in a little bit of fear. Because Timothy's got a little bit of timidity still in him because he's young. He hasn't grown confident in who he is yet and what his calling is. And so Paul, being the father in the Lord that he should be, stands up and writes him a letter and says, listen, God hasn't given you that spirit. He's given you a spirit of power. He's given you a spirit of love and of discipline. And all of that he gave to you in a gift, which is the Holy Spirit. You can't have power without the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit was given to you for the sake and the purpose of giving you power. Amen? I walk confidently and boldly. The only way that I can stand up here and talk to you, because it's not my natural bent to stand up here and talk to you, is because I recognize that it's the Holy Spirit that gives me the ability to do what I've been called to do. And it's the same for you. Some of you are sitting in your pew right now, or the chair as it were, and you're not stepped out in your column because you haven't recognized the spirit of power you've been given. You're holding on to a gift that the rest of the body needs. Because you don't recognize that the power that you've been given through the power of the Holy Spirit is enough to get you from where you are to where God wants you. But it is. Oh, that's good. Man, that's good. I'm, pre I'm preaching today, son. I hope you all writing this down. The gift he is talking about is the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, 38. Peter said to them, repent. I'm sorry. Am I even on the right page? Yeah. Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 10.45. All the circumcised believers, which were Jews, who came with Peter were amazed because the what? The gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out onto the Gentiles also. 
I picked these two verses specifically for a reason because it shows that the gift is available to those who believe, but it's also available to anyone who believes. So what is required to receive the Holy Spirit? Romans 10, 9, and 9 says, to declare out of your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved and you'll be imparted with the power of the Holy Spirit. You'll be given the Spirit of God. You have the Spirit of God in you. And it's a gift. God wants you to have it. God gave it to you. You know what I've never had to do? I've never had to beg anybody for a gift. I never said, man, I wish you'd give me that. Man, can I please have that? They wrapped it. They put my name on it. They obviously want to give it to me. Most of the time, if you guys are like me, I never even get to the day that I actually want to give it to them. I give it to them early because it's a gift, and I'm excited about giving it to them, right? I believe in God the same way. He's a giver of good gifts, and because he's a giver of good gifts, he has a heart of a giver, and as a heart of a giver, he wants to give it to you right now. And all of us are, I don't really want that. You, you Trust me, you want that. That's right. got to take it out of the box. You can hold on to it. You can flip it around. Oh, that's good. God's good. This gift comes with the promise of power. A gift of effective, productive energy. And so I want to talk to you real quick about why, why God gave you power. What God gave you power to do. I don't want to be flaky or weird or any of that kind of stuff. I've seen... People try to sell the Holy Spirit to folks almost. Do you want the power? You know, to a room full of teenagers, and they're all, I want the power, right? But the power was given to us for a reason. And so when asking if you want the power, I want to ask, do you want the power for these reasons? Number one, God provides this power to give us personal strength. Acts 7.55 says, But being full of the Holy Spirit, he, that's Stephen, gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. You know what happened to Stephen? They stoned him to death because he told him the truth. Because the same people that killed Jesus were persecuting him and other believers. And he stood and gave an apologetic sermon about who Jesus was and how they killed him. He had the power of personal strength. He was able to look into the heavens, being stoned to death. I don't know if you've ever seen anybody stoned to death. You can, I wouldn't recommend going on YouTube and searching it, but you could. It's a horrible thing. Big, gnarly rocks tearing flesh away from bone. And he had the peace of the Holy Spirit because he had the strength of the Holy Spirit to stand in confidence knowing that what he's seeing isn't his pain, but the God that's lovingly waiting for him. Well, if we could all look at that in our time of persecution, move the persecution away and focus on Jesus. Move the persecution away and see God and Jesus at his right hand. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to do that, to give us that personal strength. Acts 2, 7 through 8 says, when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power and what name have you done this? 
And they're talking about healing the, the lame beggar. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people. And then he began to talk to them about Jesus. This is Peter, who prior to being filled with the Holy Spirit, was cowardly, had a spirit, truly had a spirit of timidity. Now he had a shell of courage, but it was just a shell of courage. It wasn't an internal courage. Matter of fact, as you, as you guys know, and if you don't know, let me tell you, a little girl came up to him while Jesus was being tried and say, aren't you with Jesus? And he hid and ran from this little girl denying Christ to a little girl. Now he stands, that's the reason I added these words in, or didn't add them in, but included them in the passage I read you. He stood before the rulers and elders of the people. The people with the greatest authority to kill him and told him the truth. We've been given the spirit of power and strength to not only have comfort in our time of struggle, but to declare that Jesus Christ is exactly who he says he is in our time of persecution. Number two, God provides this power to give us comfort and confidence. John 14, 26 through 27, but the helper, if you'll look that word up, you're going to find the same word for helper, counselor. It's called paraclete, one who comes alongside. So he says, I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to send somebody to walk alongside of you. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. God provides this power to give us comfort and confidence. How many of you guys in times like these, with a show of hands, could stand a little more peace than you have right now? I tell you, I need more peace in times not like these. Right? Because the world, even in times not like these, is still crazy. But Jesus said that when he left, he was going to send a helper. I'm trying to talk plain to you guys today. It's more than, more than I even want to preach to you. I just want to talk plain to you about what you have and why you don't have to walk in a spirit of timidity. Because the eternal presence of God lives inside of you. And he has given you a peace that is internal, unshakable, and non-circumstantial. Did you hear what I said? Non-circumstantial. And you don't have to rush out to Sam's and buy 50 rolls of toilet paper or Purell hand sanitizer. You know why? Because the peace that you've been given or the peace that you should walk in when you truly fan into flame the gift that's been given by the laying on of hands should cause you to be grounded when everybody around you is panicking. Should cause you, because the spirit of peace is living in you, to be a spirit of peace to the people around you. Because whatever is in you should come out of you. Amen? So as much as God gave us the spirit for comfort and confidence, for personal strength, as that comes out of us, we should be able to give other people comfort and confidence and personal strength through our own witness. There's an old cop saying that says when things are going all crazy, 
Look for the guy in the corner with his mouth shut, eyeing the crowd, because he's about to get stuff done. Doesn't go exactly like that, but it's about the best I could do in this crowd. <laughs> that should be us. We should be the people in the corner, eyeing the crowd, because we're about to get stuff done. Because we have don't have a spirit of timidity, of fear, of cowardice, but of power, love. And a strong mind. Mm. I want to. I want to tell you. Second Timothy three five. Let me just let me look this up for you. <laughs> says this. Holding a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. When. I want to make sure I word this right. When we claim godliness, but walk in timidity, fear, um, cowardice, when we aren't who God called us to be according to the spirit that he's placed in us, we're claiming a form of godliness while denying the power of godliness. And so I need you to listen to me. You don't get to be courageous if you want to be courageous. You don't get to have us or demonstrate a spirit of power if you want to demonstrate a spirit of power. You're obligated to demonstrate a spirit of power. Because to say you're godly, but to deny its power, Paul writes to Timothy, he doesn't say, that's not good. He said, avoid people like these. And so we're, we're called to, to not even allow these people around us. Serious business. This, I think this probably needs to be brought to our remembrance more often than it is. Stop that. Don't, God didn't call you to walk in that. I want to be your friend. You're going to cause me to have to set you aside until you figure out who you are. You understand the seriousness of what I'm saying? God gave us his eternal presence, placed it inside of us, and expects us to do more with it than talk about it. Not only that, though, God provides this power to give us revelation to the truth. John 16, 13 says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. I think this is beautiful. There's a reason why, well, the reason is because in Ephesians 1.17, Paul prays this prayer over the Ephesian church. He said, give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation that they might know you better. And so you guys hear me pray that prayer all the time. But let me tell you, I pray that for myself too, not just in regards to when I'm trying to prepare a sermon, or when I'm about to preach one, but when I'm living my life, God, give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Let me know what's coming. Let me know what's happening in the lives of people. Let me know what's happening in the lives of the people that you've given me to shepherd over. Sometimes that's fun for me. Sometimes it's not fun for me. As God begins to reveal stuff, sometimes my heart breaks, but sometimes my heart rejoices. But at the end of the day, none of us should panic because if we truly are seeking a spirit of wisdom and revelation, none of this stuff should come as a surprise to us anyway. Because the God that was in yes, that's in the, 
tomorrow, God is already there. The yesterday when people were freaking out, God was there the day before yesterday. And if he's already there and you belong to him and his spirit is placed inside of you, you don't think if you ask him, he'll tell you? Yeah, but you've got to cut out all the radio chatter in your life to hear. Well, God never speaks to me. Their Bible's closed. And they're always on social media or they always have their TV on. Well, God, you can't hear his voice over the stuff in your life. Why don't you lock yourself in your prayer closet for a minute, ask God a question, and then sit silently long enough for him to answer. If you and I were having a conversation, and all I ever did was talk, and when I got done saying everything I wanted to say, I said bye and left, did we have a conversation or did I just monologue? God's all, would you stop monologuing to me, and would you start having a conversation with me? I make it a habit, and I would recommend you do too, to spend as much time silently after I pray as I do talking while I pray. Because I want God to talk to me. Trust me, he has a lot more to say to you than you have to say to him. That's relevant. Right? God provides this power to accomplish his purpose through us. There is a great promise when we act in power, trusting only in Him with a desire to serve only Him. Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now to Him who is able to do far above, far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. He gave us the ability to be His witness, to do far more abundantly beyond all that we may ask or think because of the power within us. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is the Pentecostal's favorite verse in the whole Bible. Right? If you've been a Pentecostal more than six hours, man, you don't have this memorized. You don't, you don't get to be in the club anymore. They take your Pentecostal card away. Because it's important. I make light of it, but it's because it's important. You know why you were given the Spirit? So that you could have power to tell other people about Jesus. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, which is where you live, all in Judea and Samaria, which is the area around where you live, and even to the remotest parts of the earth, which is the entire earth. And let me tell you, what kind of witness, or let me ask you, not tell you, what kind of witness are you? And I'm not talking about declaring the gospel to somebody. I'm not even talking about personal evangelism right now. I'm talking about when you walk down the street, what kind of witness are you? Can people look at you when everybody else is going crazy and say there's something different about that guy, I wonder what it is. There's something different about that woman, I wonder what it is. And eventually, if you act strong with a power of love or a power of uh, the spirit of power long enough, people are going to ask you, why aren't you freaking out? Guess what? God just opened a door for you to tell them about Jesus. You know who I'm not going to? To talk about how to be courageous? Somebody that's hidden a corner. I'm not going to talk to a fat person about working out. I'm not going to talk to a guy who just filed bankruptcy about how to save money. You understand what I'm saying? 
Everybody all right? I said fat. A couple people got all nervous. I'm not going to point at nobody. Right? It's all good. Jesus loves you anyway. <laughs> all right. Number three. <laughs> Sometimes that get me, man. Nevertheless, I have been equipped with a spirit of love. I can say nevertheless because I have been equipped with a spirit of love. The power we have been equipped with has given us a supernatural power of love. 1 John 4 says that God is love. It's not part of who he is. It is who and what he is. He is love. And if he has placed his spirit inside of us, then guess what? We should have that same reflection coming out of us. People should say, that dude loves people. That woman loves people. We need to be a people that love people because we have been given the spirit of God that works in us, through us, to affect those around us. So what kind of love is it? You ever wonder, how does God love you? God loves you every kind of way you can be loved. But I'll tell you, the most significant way God loves you is that agape love. Let me explain what that means to you. That means the unconditional love. It's the love that considers you before he considers himself. That's the beauty of the gospel, isn't it? That Jesus Christ sacrificed himself on the cross, suffered so that you wouldn't have to. He loved you so unconditionally, loves us all so unconditionally that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I think that's it's beautiful. If he did that for us and then placed that spirit that caused him to do that for us in us, how should we act? We should act like he acts. You're going to call yourself a Christian. Christian literally means Christ-like. And you should be Christ-like. It's the reason, it's the main reason, why I felt confident that God was telling us to leave the church open. And I've already spoke my piece about other churches and what they're doing and all that. That's, that's between them and the Lord and, and their congregation. They, those shepherds know their sheep better than I do. But I, I am, at a very convictional level, believe that the church needs to be a place people can run to, not from. That in moments like these, we need to be able to love our neighbor tangibly. And it's hard for us to love our neighbor tangibly if we're not tangibly around our neighbor. <coughs> There's an article I read this week by the Gospel Coalition titled, what, what We Could Learn from the Early Church in Regard to the Coronavirus. And it intrigued me because the early church didn't deal with coronavirus. And so I read it. And this is what it said. And it, it just solidified my position, and I hope it does yours too. It essentially said that during the Black Plague, Christianity was all but dead prior to the Black Plague. But Christians, when everybody else was isolating themselves, locking themselves in their houses, not talking to anybody, it was the Christian 
and they had several people that were quoted within the article from that time, non-Christians. It was the Christian that came out of his house and tended to the sick and the ailing, that tangibly loved the people that were suffering. And because the Christian was willing to not isolate, but instead love, because we have a spirit of love, the church, the Christian church, exploded and saw a new revival in that time. I believe that what is happening right now is the church's greatest opportunity, at least in a generation, to start a revival. If we love them well, if we show them that God loves them and loves them well, better than they've ever been loved. But in order to do that, you know what we have to do? We have to be willing to be amongst them. I want you to use wisdom. I don't want you to go hospital start licking sick folks or anything. <laughs> but at the same time, can you, can you love folks? Can you love people that you see that you come into contact with? I think you can. I think we should. Because we've been given a spirit, not of timidity, but of love. Jesus never, never shrunk back from others for his own safety. I'd love for you to find a place in the scripture where, where he did. In fact, he, he went and touched the leper. Amen. He had the power, you, you know as well as I do, because the stories say he wasn't even in some places and just spoke the word and they were healed. He could have just said, be healed, and every leper in the country be healed. But he went because he had compassion and love for the leper and touched the leper that the leper could feel the tangible love of God. And if he didn't do it, his apostles didn't do it, it says that they walked amongst them. So much so that people that were sick would just, they'd drag them out in the street so their shadow could fall upon them. I don't know if my shadow has that much power, but I don't know that it doesn't. You know? So, but my shadow can't fall on them if I'm not willing to love them. <laughs> amen, amen. Number four. Nevertheless, I have been equipped with a spirit of discipline. Discipline is defined simply as a pre-plan. This is my own definition for discipline, just so you know. If you look it up in the dictionary, you'll be like, oh, that's not the... That's not the definition of discipline. A pre-planned decision to forego immediate pleasure for the sake of an eventual better result. When I discipline myself, I say, you know what? There's this thing that I want right now. But I'm going to set that aside because I'm looking for something better. It's the reason I work out. I, well, if I worked out, it would be the reason why I worked out. We, we do have gym memberships, though. Yeah, we've had them since September before last, and short of the day we went and picked the cards up, we hadn't been back in there. <laughs> um, but it's the reason why people work out. Because they forego their comfort for a better result, for a healthier body. Amen? It's the reason why we eat well. I want this piece of chocolate cake, but I'm going to forego this piece of chocolate cake so that I can be healthy. 
I'm not for going chocolate cake either, just so you know. I may not be a person of discipline at all. <laughs> but I have a spirit of discipline. So what is the better result we're looking for? In regard to this, if I've been given a spirit of discipline, a strong mind, what's the better result I'm looking for? The better result I'm looking for, and I hope that you're looking for, is opportunity. 1 Corinthians 9.27 says, I discipline my body and make it a slave so that after I have preached, I myself will not be disqualified. Well, how does that demonstrate opportunity? He says, after I have preached, when I preach, it's opportunity for your good. When I discipline myself, to study, to pray, to write a message and deliver it. It's for your good. It's the opportunity to create good in your life. And when I discipline myself to live according to the way that I should, so that at the end of my life I'm not disqualified, it's an opportunity for my good. And so the greater good that I'm looking for is an opportunity to change someone else's life and to change my own. And this is why God gave us a spirit of discipline. Because we have a greater good that we need to consider. We need to consider the greater good of the people around us and the greater good of ourselves. But we can't do any of these things if we live in a spirit of fear. Fan into flame the gift I've given you by the laying on of the gift that you've been given by the laying on of my hands. For you were not given a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and a strong mind. This is the I alluded to this. I actually didn't allude to it. I just straight up said it a minute ago. This is why I think the church is ineffective because we've, we've determined to be okay with being the ember away from the fire. And it's time we stop. And so today, come on up here. This is what I want to do. I've had conversations with people in this room recently. I want to fan into flame that, that I feel like, like I'm not where I used to be. We're going to do an, an opportunity for you to respond, an altar call, for you to come up here. If you want this, the, that first passionate love back, that spirit fanned into flame in you, now's the time to do that. All you got to do is discipline yourself to do it. To say, you know what? For the sake of my own good, I'm going to forego the pleasure of sitting here for the probability of a better opportunity, which is to burn. Jonathan Edwards was asked one time, because he used to preach in a field, he said, they asked him, they said, how do you, how do you get thousands of people into the field to watch you preach? And he said, I don't know. He said, I just set myself on fire, and people come watch me burn. It's time the church sets itself on fire. Amen. You know, we, Brother Leonard and I talked a couple of weeks ago about 
the glory cloud. And I don't really have time to get into what that is, but it's the manifest presence of God, visible manifest presence of God in the church. He's not coming for a dullah here in church. He's not coming for a lukewarm church. He's not coming for a church that's comfortable with being comfortable. He's coming for a church that's on fire, that's willing to set itself on fire so that other people might not burn. Amen. And so I'll tell you, I, I prayed this prayer already today. God, fan into flame the gift that you've been given, that I've been given. And I pray, and I'm going to pray it tomorrow. And I'm going to pray it the next day. If you're wondering how your spiritual life has become lackluster and not what it used to be, I'll tell you it starts with allowing your coal to roll off the fire and stand here ashy. Now's your opportunity to put it back in the fire.